Hey everybody, welcome into the MLS Bench Podcast. Uh, today, uh, we have all of us here. We're all back. Andres, John, Matt, and myself. Um, we're going to be here uh, to discuss a host of topics, including um, the new MLS media rights deal, the USMNT uh, finishing up their June window against uh, Grenada and El Salvador, um, we also have a you know a select few MLS games happening in the midweek, and one very big coach moving on from one very big club. Uh, that's all coming up. But uh, first, I do want to hit on a few of those select games just to kind of touch on those and get them out of the way because um, uh, while the international break was going on, um, it's, it was a handful of games. I don't know, maybe five, seven games were played. Um, and a few in the past couple days. So we can kind of hit on whatever topics we want uh, to talk about surrounding these uh, few games. But I think the real one that we should start with, because this one is um, significant to the conversations that we've been having previously on this uh, podcast, is the one uh, that took place in Charlotte on Saturday as Charlotte FC with their interim uh, manager, his first game in charge, uh, beat the New York Red Bulls 2-0. Now, we were all wondering how um, Charlotte was going to respond following uh, the firing of Miguel Angel Ramirez. And while, you know, they didn't always look like the better team in this game, it was a very, very solid performance at home from a team that, you know, would have had every reason to, you know, not 100% show up. Maybe proving that, you know, maybe not the firing was the right idea, but that there, there was stuff going on behind the scenes. Uh as a uh, man uh, who lives in and around uh, and has followed the Charlotte team, John, what do you um, what what do you see in this game, and how can you extrapolate it as it pertains to you know Charlotte moving forward and uh, the firing um, that you know was such a surprise and you know took over all the headlines? Yeah, um, that it seems like you know just a, a long time ago that we talked about. Uh, Miguel Ramirez and his firing, um, you know, and it and since that time, there's been a lot that's come out about um, just how dissatisfied uh, a large number of players were with how he was running the team, and uh, you know, it's just really, really interesting, right? It just is a good reminder that you can never really tell how a locker room is doing from the outside, um, because you know, from the outside, from the fan perspective, at least in the Charlotte area, was they were pretty happy with how the team was being put together. And so I think that this, uh, for Latanzio, who's currently the interim coach, probably will be for the end till the end of the season. At least that's what I think they've announced. Um, you know, it's a big win. Um, they they won two two zero. Um, one of the goals was definitely um, late, late, late. I think it was into stoppage time when the Red Bulls were pushing. Um, and but that first one was from Ben Bender, Ben Bender, right? Uh, one of their their key draft picks, one of their first draft picks. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think for this team, um, is, is it the new coaching bump? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but will they take it against a, a solid Red Bulls team? Absolutely, they will. Um, you know, I think for this team, this sort of installs belief. Uh, for the fan base, I think it's a reminder that, that maybe uh, there's some logic still in the front office, which, you know, I think a lot of diehard fans were questioning for a little bit of time. And 
Um, yeah, I, I think it's it's a really good result for Charlotte at home. They continue their home dominance. They've been quite quite good at home over the last little bit. I think they are. Uh, I think I remember hearing they're maybe tied for first with best home field uh, record in MLS um, amongst a couple other teams. I think it's like two or three teams that are tied. Uh, but yeah, it was it was a good game. Ben Bender does get a little bit lucky with the deflection on the shot, um, but he definitely um, consistently looks like one of the best players on the field. So definitely deserved the goal. Yeah, I, I wanted to kind of just touch on that that home field advantage. It's it's really been pretty pronounced for them, and for them to be an expansion side coming into the season and be able to establish that is really impressive. Uh, we're we're you know obviously the the new coach bump, all that fun stuff. That's great, but massive, massive props to Charlotte on on the way that they're approaching the season at home. Um, and then I did want to touch on Ben Bender. It's it's really really cool. I he's got to be probably leading the way for rookie of the year uh, contention. And it's awesome now to have uh, Shin Yishiki there with them, who won it a couple of years ago too. So hopefully those two can work together pretty well and continue a really strong start to the season. I think. Like the thing that um, it has been uh, surprising to me, you know, over the last couple weeks, um, is kind of the onslaught, at least from the players, uh, kind of. I don't know if disparaging is the right word, but certainly not holding back their, uh, I guess their, you know, pleasure maybe is the right word uh, over the firing. Like they, they have. I haven't heard a single player comment that has been, you know, negative towards the firing, and. I don't know what that says, but at the very least, um, I think it shows that these guys are ready to move on and ready to, um, you know, continue their, it, it might be over performance, uh, you know, given the spending and the salaries, but uh, certainly that they're ready to continue their hot-ish streak to start the season um, under a new coach. And, I don't know, you know, who that coach is going to end up being, you know, long term, but they certainly looked up for the task in this game. Um, Red Bull is obviously a really good team and New York came out and I think really at the start of both halves, particularly the start of the first half was when the Red Bulls looked most dangerous. But Charlotte, by the end of the 90 was, you know, they were the one on the front foot producing chances. They could have had, you know, one or two um, before they got that. uh second one you know in the space of about 10 minutes they had like two or three really good chances in front of net um to you know finish that one off and they ended up getting uh their second um bender i think in and of itself is that that's a great story you know how young he is um and you know producing uh that goal which was you know a really a, a well-taken goal it it was a good touch a good turn like uh you said john lucky on uh the uh the, the shot no doubt but you know charlotte in this game didn't show me anything that said that they weren't deserving of this one and that makes me really excited because like this was one of the storylines before the firing the firing made it an even bigger storyline and so if they're able to continue this hot streak and um you know m make a run even for the playoffs we're, we kind of stumbled into after the mess that happened in the preseason one of the better expansion sides in MLS history, if they're able to keep this up, which is kind of a surprise to say, given what we, you know, had initially anticipated, you know, given the comments before the start of the season. They're in seventh place. They're in a playoff spot right now. Like it's, 
it, it, I don't I don't think it'd be fair to say that this is a great season so far for them by any means, but I think that they're overperforming expectations at this point. Well, and the one thing that I would add is that three of their highest played players were not on the field. Um, what when they play Sunday, Saturday? I think it was sun- Saturday. Um, yeah, it was Saturday. Swiderski, Jodorowsky, and um, their other new DP, um, all were not on the field. And so their three highest played players um, were not playing. And then their their captain, Christian Fuchs, who had also been really outspoken uh, post the firing of Ramirez, um, really been a rock for them at the back, um, also was not on the field. So, you know, arguably some of their most important players were not actually on the field during this game, and they still were able to come out with the three points. So definitely an interesting um, perspective, especially considering those high-paid players were some of the ones that were the most outspoken about um, the firing. So definitely very, very interesting. Um, Going to be interesting to see how the season continues, both from like a on-the-field perspective, but then also like how does that contribute with off-the-field um, yeah, because it, you know, I definitely think that maybe there's one more signing in Charlotte's future, just with how the the money and the the, the I think they're doing young DPS, so I think they're trying to get a third young DP slot. But yeah, definitely, uh, definitely some success, and uh, I think there's there's some room for uh, for some success and for them to make the playoffs for sure. I think and Rebels, yeah, go ahead, Andres, yeah. And Rebel has been good on the road all, all year. Actually, their struggles have been more at home. Um, and they've been one of the best road teams. So that makes this win, I think, even a little bit more impressive. And, and you're right, especially the second half, or even uh, the, for large portions of the first half, Charlotte was clearly the, the better team. And they they had two or three chances that Coronel saved. Um, it could have been a, an even bigger win. The thing with me for Charlotte is, you know, what are they going to look like on the road uh, going forward? Because they've struggled so far. Um, and I think that, you know, that's the big test is one, can they keep this kind of new coach bounce up? Because, you know, those tend to not last very long. Um, it seems clear, like you guys said, that there was some issues behind the scenes, maybe, you know, led to this bump initially. And two is what what is their, their road form going to look like? If they can get some points on the road and keep up this uh, this home sort of dominance, then then yeah, they've got a shot at the playoffs. Um, but I think that's that's a tough ask um, with a new coach with the the roster. I think a little bit in flux um, to, to see how they progress through the season, especially on the road. I think the one last thing I would say to keep an eye on is that under Ramirez, they really liked to play with the ball. And um, they were not afraid to play a possession-style game, uh, which was part of what made watching them so unique as an expansion side. And uh, when they played the Red Bulls, um, they really did struggle for maybe the first 10 minutes in the game. But once they established their footing, you know, they really did dominate in possession. Um, And they did that with, again, without their DP players. And so as, you know, Latenzio sort of takes over as the interim coach, are they going to continue with that possession style uh, of play? You know, and how uh, how are they going to integrate some of their DPs? Because in truth, uh, some of their DPs really weren't super integrated well into their position based system. So, um, yeah, it, you know, it'll be it'll be interesting to see uh, if the the coaching bump continues and if he makes significant changes. Because as of Sunday, I did not feel like there were major changes made. And 
unfortunately for Charlotte, it didn't look like they needed to make any major changes against one of the East's best sides. Yeah, 61% possession, uh, a really good um, XG differential in favor of Charlotte. Um, you know, obviously small sample size, um, but, you know, still positive. Um, and for a team that, you know, wasn't anticipating much positivity, it's kind of been this unexpected, you know, you know, jump basically the entire season. It's it, They just keep being able to pull results out. And, you know, I didn't think they would be able to win this game. You know, Red Bulls are a great team and the coach and all that, the craziness. And yet, hey, you know, that's Charlotte for you, apparently. And, uh, you know, sitting in a playoff spot as an expansion side, uh, not too shabby. And so we'll see what they're what they're able to do moving forward. Um, that's pretty good on that game. I... We can touch on, you know, maybe one or two others before we move on to kind of the heavier hitting stuff. Um, I don't know if you guys want to touch on anything specific, and you're more than welcome to divert the conversation. Uh, the other game that really popped out to me was um, the Sounders beating the Whitecaps 4-0. It wasn't a game that was actually as dominant for Seattle, uh, at least in terms of possession, um, as, you know, the scoreline might indicate. And yet, you know, in the second half, uh, Seattle really made Vancouver pay uh, three goals, um, including uh, Raul Rio Diaz getting two, one in the first, one in the second. Uh, pretty solid performance in front of goal for Seattle. But the Whitecaps had stretches in this game where they were the team in control. Um, a pretty even possession, uh, especially in the first half. Would you, If you guys watched this game, did you guys see anything um, that might indicate to you um, that you know, Seattle still isn't there, or are we just going to take the four goals and basically run with it and say, you know, this is the beginning of their push, really, um, to, you know, assert themselves at the top of the West, you know, post-CCL, really, even though that was, what, almost two months ago at this point. So they did this without Jordan Morris and without Christian Roldan. Um, and Joao Paulo. And, of course, Joao Paulo, who's out and for Bruce Pat. Yeah, so... I think what you see here is just what really top end talent can do, um, especially at, at home against the now great Vancouver team. And if we go back to you know that Dallas loss, which is right after CCL, um, where they didn't play any of their guys in MLS play the last five games, they've won four, um, and they're already back up of the playoff line within you know within that five game stretch. So uh, you know for. For the whole you know month of may or or just prior where they were at the bottom of the standings and people were saying should we start worrying about seattle i think you see how quickly they can, can really jump up the standings they've got an interesting game saturday with the lafc um which i'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out but no i, I think you take the four goals and you take the four wins out of five without half of your starting 11 and and you you say okay that's that's kind of what we expect from seattle yeah i i'm just looking at the lineups again really quickly they're also without uh i believe is last year's defender of the year in yamar like this is seattle's back everybody needs to be terrified you're right that that match against lafc i think is really going to be pretty indicative of how the west is going to shake out because this team is just top to bottom one of the best in the league like it's scary, truly. I think one of the more interesting stories to me over the last four games has been Obed Vargas. Um, he's a, a young, young, 
um, player who's taken over for John Paulo uh, in, in the middle of the field. And um, he, he just has really, really looked confident on the ball. So he spent this last game uh, right next to Nico, letting Nico sit a little bit farther back from him. And um, having um, Montero, who doesn't typically play in that position, but did because of um, some key um, absences. And um, he just has looked really, really good. Uh, everything from, um, you know, his hold-up play to distribution. Um, and if, if I'm, my memory serves me right, he's only 16. Um, I think I read an article about how the U20 team was having uh, some arguments with uh, the Seattle Sounders front office because Seattle really wants to use him because of the injuries they had to John Paulo. And um, so, yeah, I would definitely keep an eye on that. I think that, you know, there's a possibility that, um, he might eventually get sold, uh, maybe not this season, just because of uh, the, the injuries there. But um, yeah, over the last four games, I've really been impressed with him. Um, and I also agree with the rest of what y'all have said. I, I think the Sounders are, are going to be the Sounders, right? And um, I, I think I think anybody who doubted them uh, didn't watch what they did in CCL. Do you think that uh, Ovid Vargas is the next really big... Um player in contention between for for that US Mexico dual national I mean he's got to be right like I, I'm trying to think about who is kind of on that you know on, on the edge it was Marcelo Flores uh youngster who plays in the Arsenal uh U23s I think that was between Canada and Mexico though and he was kind of always favoring Mexico that would have been a really big and surprising get for Canada I'm trying to think about other you know, guys playing at like some of the top leagues. I can't really think of any besides Obed. Trying to think of others, maybe. Yeah, I, I still think that Obed right now probably would be a bigger get just because he's sixteen. You know, that's that's really young and with so much room to grow, and having already proved himself against you know top professionals um in the domestic league and against you know Liga Mekis opposition most notably uh ccl final like we're this kid's legit legit um so i'll be interested to see where he goes and that's a good point you bring up matt i i'm really interested in watching yeah those are the u.s and mexico looking after obed vargas and still kate cowell is the other one who sure. uh, is eligible i think those are two gonna be really interesting yeah no, I, I'm with you 100%. Um, and the center of the field is super congested for the USMNT, right? So sure. that might play a, play a part in this this his decision as well, right? Am I going to get playing time? Right. We look at Mexico, um, you know, Ache Ache getting up there. Gordado, this is probably his last run at it uh, for the World Cup, and then he's probably done. Um, and we look at their... The, the one problem would be if he's you know looking to play as a six for Mexico their defensive midfield with Edson and Eric Gutierrez, that's pretty locked up at this point. They're still, both of them are still young enough, but Hey, I mean, for Obed, it's a really good problem to have, you know, I, I it's just going to be interesting to watch for sure. Yeah. Like yeah. to be that good at that age. Good on him. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I think Jonathan Gonzalez, Jonathan Gonzalez was a dual national battle a couple years ago. So I think Jonathan Yo, Gomez, Gomez is now the national battle. Okay. He's going back between the two. So we've had, trying we've to remember had a couple the, of those. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm like, I thought Gonzalez already picked, but I, I'm, I'm not. So, so Gonzalez did pick. Um, apparently, Gomez has also played in April for, for Mexico. 
Um, so I'm not sure if that's a done deal, if he can still make the one-time switch or, or what, but I know he was a, he was another one of those um, battlegrounds between U.S. and Mexico. I he was in the January still, camp, right? I think he's still available yeah. because he hasn't played a official FIFA friendly or something. It's something like that. He played. He was in the January camp um, in January and for for the U.S. and then he got called up by Mexico in April for a friendly against Guatemala. Um, I'm not sure if that cap ties him or not. That I'm, I'm not clear on. But I know that that's one of those dual national battles that's going on now. Of course, yeah. We've got three Big to keep one. our eyes on. What you say? We've got three big uh, uh, dual nationals to keep our eyes on at the moment. Yeah. In addition to like 35 incredible youngsters from the Dallas Academy and this, that, and the other, but those three especially. And I think notably, you know, to tie it all back to MLS, um, all all those guys came from either MLS systems or youth academy systems in, in the United States, right? These guys weren't, you know either developed overseas or in Mexico. These are guys who were Obed developed in, you know, the Seattle Academy system. Um, well, we look at uh, K Cal, same thing. I think Gomez, I might be wrong, but I think he was at Dallas, right? Before he um, moved to Louisville city again, continuing that, you know, American soccer trend. So that's all good stuff. Um, and, Tons- and even before uh, that, Efra and Araujo were, were galaxy. Academy also, kids. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, that's positive stuff for MLS. Um, I think that's good uh, for the Seattle game. Uh, Seattle, hopefully, you know, um, you know, one of those teams is going to start to slide up because we do want to see the best uh, thrive in MLS, and they are currently right now on 13 games played. Many many teams have played uh, 14, 15 games. They are sitting in a playoff spot right now um, on 19 points. Uh, that's about it for the MLS games. If you guys want to throw out anything, you guys can. But, you know, just reading off the standings right now, LAFC still top, Dallas and Real Salt Lake behind them in the West, in the East, NYCFC top of uh, the East on 13 games. Oh, they're, they're on two points per game, two points per game, and uh, Philly and Montreal behind them. So, you know, not much has changed at the top, but... You know, certainly interesting storylines, particularly Charlotte and Seattle, um, as we continue into the dog days of summer. And those basically start now. The league will be back up and running and it'll be a very full MLS pod next week, uh, Saturday and Sunday, um, uh, the entire weekend packed with games. But, you know, it wasn't a ton of MLS because the international window was going on and the United States, um, we had that roundtable last week to recap the uh really the world cup friendlies uh the morocco being a world cup team uruguay being a world cup team and the team fared well a win and a draw respectively in those games and once again in their concacaf nations league games it was a win and a draw an impressive five no win versus grenada not wholly unexpected certainly not unexpected but our boy jesus ferreira bagging four goals and paul Ariola getting the other one, so you know the, that FC Dallas connection coming through. They've been coming through all season for club and now for the national team. And then in El Salvador, it was a crazy affair that I'm sure we'll uh, touch on in just a second. But again, Jordan Morris grabs the goal uh, for the United States on basically uh, the brink of full time as that one finishes 1-1. Um, U.S. still in great position 
to qualify out of their group and go to the uh, Nations League semifinals and final. I believe that those will be held next year, um, just before the Gold Cup. And I think overall a really good window for the United States. Not uh, now, John and Andres, you couldn't join us last week, so I guess I'll start with you. Uh, where do you kind of assess the U.S. right now? Um, you know, finishing uh, this June window, now only two games left uh, to the World Cup. John, I'll start with you. What do you think the U.S. still has to improve upon? And what did you see that you really, really liked in this window? Because I think there were certainly a ton of positive takeaways. Yeah, I think that um, the conversation about who's our goal scorer is, you know, maybe not uh, put to bed, but is is maybe a little bit more in stone than it was beforehand. I think Jesus Ferreira has really proven himself. Uh, four goals is four goals is four goals. You know, it was versus Grenada, but um, four goals is difficult to pull off. And so um, I think he's looked good up top. Uh, and I, I don't see any reason for him not to be sort of the assumed uh, starter up top um, going into our World Cup cycle. Um, I'm sure that some things can change. You know, soccer is a crazy sport. But um, as of now, I think that that's where us and I think probably where the coaching staff stands. Um, I think the other sort of thought that comes to mind is that um, I think the USMNT has this habit of playing to their competition. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, Grenada maybe, maybe might be the outlier on this, but every time we play a game that really should be locked up, um, especially, you know, um, when it's, when it's away, we have a tendency to, to really struggle. And I think you saw that against El Salvador. You saw us play a game that honestly wasn't pretty. Um, it's, it both physically was a messy game in the mud, um, you know, and then also expectedly technically messy as well. Uh, and, you know, again, to be expected, but that's not abnormal even when the terrain is not muddy, right? I think the United States has trouble playing really cohesive soccer um, against, um, you know, some of our CONCACAF um, brothers and sisters. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Those are my kind of predominant thoughts going out. Um, you know, against Grenada, you come out, you know, 5-0 and you're feeling great. Um, and then you have that 1-1 tie to El Salvador and maybe um, you're a little less pumped. But, yeah, those are my predominant thoughts coming out of uh, this this window. I wasn't wholly surprised um, that, you know, we would beat Grenada 5-0 at home and come out for El Salvador and not get the result we wanted because there is a there is a difference between those two teams. I believe Grenada is ranked 170th. I might be wrong about that in the world. El Salvador is, you know, it, it not super highly ranked. Don't get me wrong, but um, you know, certainly uh, above the 100 mark. That you know, it there's massive difference between those two sides. Um, so th- that wasn't the surprising thing uh, for me. I think the only thing I would like to see different in the El Salvador game is, I don't know if you could say, you know, the, the cohesiveness wasn't there. But even like that, I don't even know if I can, you know, give a massive critique just because w- you were saying that we have a problem playing cohesive soccer versus CONCACAF. That's because they foul us to no end. Like, 
like when we play teams that want to play cohesive soccer against us, the U.S. has actually fared rather well. We saw that versus Morocco and Uruguay. I mean, obviously not the strongest Uruguayan side, and Morocco, um, you know, without you know uh, Ziyech, now that's going to be the case for them for the foreseeable future. But you know, you could poke holes in the U.S.'s uh, first two games. But against those sides, we look really good in stretches playing our brand of soccer versus teams like El Salvador who are willing to get liter- literally put us in the mud because they're going to foul us, you know, every time that we try and, you know, you know, have a cohesive buildup or, or try to make something happen. That's why you, that, you know, that beautiful soccer in part is impossible. Now, it's also really dang hard to play beautiful soccer when you're playing on a pitch that is half mud. And I think that was the, you know, overlying thing from that game that was, you know, bang in your face, just look at the field, how are you supposed to play on that? And yet, I still thought that the U.S. played well and showed grit and determination, all those things, and, you know, produced more. Um, the XG was favored toward the United States in that game. And, you know, Andres, the El Salvador goal was kind of so ridiculous that it was almost more excusable than if they had cut up the United States in beautiful fashion. Because, I mean, how often are you going to have one of those crazy crosses scored you know, besides that, the U.S. had some sloppy moments, but overall, we were the better side in that game and probably deserved to win it. Yeah, um, and, and I'm, I'll I'll put this huge caveat first that I don't I don't think or I don't take a lot of what happens um, in a June Nations League game and you know torrential you know rain that was at the beginning and then just the slop in the mud that was at the end of the game. Uh, as a huge indicator of what's going to be going on at the end of November. So I'm going to say that first. I'm not sure how much you take away and say, okay, this translates to to a World Cup game in, in November. But but that said, um, definitely had the better of the chances. Um, I think one of one of the few takeaways I, I do see from this is that I think Yunus Musa is an absolute must start um, in your best 11. You saw just the way that he can carry the ball from the midfield. Um, he almost scored a, that you know the the equalizer on one of these runs where where he got he found himself one on one with the keeper eight yards out, um, and and it's just nice to have I think a Musa McKinney Adams uh, starting trio in the midfield and have somebody like Brendan Aronson that can spell one of them or play on the wing, um, but I think that's that's one of my takeaways. Is that I, I don't think there's any way you can take Musa out of the lineup. Um, the other takeaway is, I think you're right. There was a there was a clear handball um, that wasn't called. There was a few good chances. They probably on merit deserved to win the game, um, and it's not an easy feat considering that in World Cup qualifying we drew with El Salvador at El Salvador. So, yeah, it, it wasn't the greatest performance. And U.S. men's national team Twitter is you know always miserable to read um, and especially so when when we draw against these teams that are perceived to be lesser than um, and by rankings they are but I thought the performance considering the conditions wasn't that bad um, that said you know the World Cup is all about form in the moment so who's healthy and who's playing well in November is going to go a lot a lot further than what happens in a Nations League game in June in my opinion I 100% agree with you on that. Um, the other big takeaway that I had from the game is, thank God everybody we got out of that game healthy. Like, 
that's I, the number one concern that I have across you know the next several months is the health of our big time performers. And so that that just it felt like a game where somebody was going to get stuck in the mud and slip and have something tear. And so uh, to get to get through that was really really helpful. Totally agree. That's number one. Uh, yeah, more than anything, you even if you lose that game but come out healthy, you probably take that at this point in the cycle. For sure. Absolutely, we got a bigger we got a very bigger trophy to go for. I would also say that it could be worse. We could have lost four zero to Hungary. That's true. That's true. Yeah, no doubt. And I think, um, I. I I guess when when you you know broaden it into like what it means for the World Cup, that's where I am. I was I was like I was smiling this entire game because it was pure Concacaf. You know, thank goodness no one got hurt. And obviously, we, we would be talking about this different if five people went down injured because the field was absolute garbage or so, you know something like that. But because that didn't happen, we're able to kind of laugh about this game and say, yeah, that's Concacaf at its best because you know it, it doesn't mean anything for the World Cup. I'm I'm sure that the U.S. would have rather not played this game on that field, but you play these games because that's what comes up on your schedule. And you know what? You kind of you got to take what you can out of these games that aren't versus Uruguay or Morocco. They're they're against the teams that you're gonna face more than you know the World Cup teams. You play the World Cup once every four years. In in between those World Cups, you play a Nations League. You play, you know, two gold cups. You play these teams, and that's what makes it fun because there is more familiarity. Again, in the Cusca Clan, we just played there nine months ago. We're back. The pitch is disgusting, but, you know, the players are laughing. Moose is smiling. It's just like it It had a feel of not not as important as World Cup qualifying, and that almost made it an enjoyable watch because Morris scores, everybody's happy. You know, you hear the quotes like when Morris got in the locker room, everybody was cheering. It was just it sounds fun because you know it can be. I guess Andres, what do you have I, anything more? I was surprised. I was surprised that Burhalter started so many of the of the top guys. I was surprised to see you know Pulisic and Adams and McKinney um, playing the full ninety on that field. That was, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad it worked out. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm not sure I would have made the same call. Um, so good on him. But, you know, one of those guys gets stuck in the mud and tears an ACL. Um, and the conversation is really different. So Obviously, I'm glad so. it didn't happen. But yeah, was surprised. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with that. I, I That it does need to be pointed out. Um, I, I would also say uh, specifically, um to your point about the starters is I think Greg Berhalter, um, I, I think he has assessed that the U S post not making in 2018, isn't really in a position to take anything light. We kind of have to go for everything. We have to kind of reestablish dominance that was there and then was lost over the period of a couple years. And that's why you saw, you know, n- not the full strength versus Grenada. Obviously that didn't have to be the way, you know, we could have played basically any combination of the guys we have in this camp and would have produced the same result. But versus El Salvador, and you and you saw it in him not releasing the rosters a day early like he was doing uh, for the friendlies, but, you know, kind of treating it like, you know, a, a real match, which it is. It is a real competitive match. Um, 
he, I think he clearly showed that he wants the U.S. to have this air of professionalism about it and not it not to be Mexico sending not like none of their top players, you know, and then, you know, trying to get results and stuff like that. Uh, he wanted to make it a, a real competitive game. Um, and you also saw that demonstrate, I think, is when he wasn't happy with Haji Wright, he wasn't he didn't worry about um, whether or not Haji was able to finish the 90 and give him more data points and, you know, to take a you know, bigger look at the striker pool. He said, you know what, I, I want to win the game, and Ferreira is my number one, and I'm going to go with him to try and win the game. That was also um, very pointed, at least to me, in that, you know, he, you know, first things first, he wants to win the game. He's not viewing this as, you know, strictly World Cup prep. And I'll just say this kind of a, from a zoom out point of view, because now we've got a while before, before they come together again, and th- then we'll be really, really into the, the meat of, of prep for World Cup is in the last, you know, 13 months, um, they beat Mexico for the Nations League. They beat Mexico for a Gold Cup final. They got four points against Mexico in World Cup qualifying and qualified for the World Cup. I mentioned how miserable it is to read Twitter during these men's national team games. Imagine if the opposite of those were true, if we had lost those finals or not qualified for the World Cup. So, you know, I know it's not perfect. There are areas of the field, um, particularly number nine and goalkeeper, where um, you know things maybe not not so so set in stone. Uh, it seems like Ferreira is taking that spot, but you know, quite a lot of people have quite a lot to say about that. But just from a from a zoom out thirteen months point of view, that's a pretty good thirteen months, um, regardless of what happens in November. So, yeah, yeah. just a quick shout out to to all the work that that's been done because it. It was really different 2018 um, to what we were experiencing this year. The state of the national team right now is extremely good, and you can see that in the way that these guys are coming together. It looks like a great atmosphere um, to be in. You see these guys on social media. They just seem to be really enjoying each other, and they're all friends. And like just that in and of itself is really heartwarming to see because it's like we actually have guys who we can – you know, view ourselves kind of through as fans, you know, in a way that these are the established guys. We know that, you know, there aren't going to be massive fallouts, that they're all cool with each other. We know that there's going to be a base there, and that in and of itself is reassuring after not qualifying for the World Cup. Matt, do you have um, anything on these last two games or anything, you know, kind of as it pertains moving forward, um, two games in September and then the World Cup? Yeah, I just wanted to bring up one point about the Salvadoran national team, and it it, it was specifically about... Hugo Perez, and I think that he is such a good coach. He has really reinvigorated that national team side. I would love to see Perez come back to MLS as a coach. I think if as we start seeing, you know, coaching vacancies pop up here and there, I think that that's a name that has to be thrown around if if Major League Soccer is a league that he's looking at uh, or, or open to coming to because it's really impressive what he's done with that program. And I think setting up for success in the future, there was some debate in the Scuff Discord, I think, about this, um, was him setting it up for this team that hadn't made the, you know, the final uh, round of qualifying in a very long time uh, to come back in and, you know, have this team set up that there's going to be there's going to be more of this moving forward, um, you know, for a whole host of reasons. But you, they're starting to recruit dual, dual nationals from the United States, from Mexico. 
um, from other countries, this is all positive and they're going to be able to, you know, build upon, you know, not being last in qualifying. It's not the happiest thing. They didn't make it to the World Cup. They weren't particularly close. But at least now they have some base and some, you know, standard and say, you know, we can only get up from here. This is where we are and this is, you know, where we hope to get to. And, you know, they they do perform well in a lot of these games. Now, they also tie Grenada in Grenada. So not the, you know, it's not all, uh, you know, sunshine and roses in El Salvador. But there is, you know, market improvement from the last couple of years to where they are now. And I think you make a good point, Matt, in that Hugo Perez is a massive part of that. Um, and it yeah. looks like he's fostering a really good environment for that national team. To have, to have the system that they're starting to create, I think that that exactly just, it's something that you can actually build upon. And I, I'm pretty sure that they were actually missing out on quite a few of their key starters. I don't think that um, Alex Roldan, for instance, was in this camp. Uh I'm trying to make sure that's no, correct, no, but I believe yeah. I heard some about uh, a pay dispute. He played, he played Tuesday night against Vancouver. And he scored. So, uh, so yeah, he was I, protesting some salary issues. Uh, that's less good. Uh, they'll need to figure that out. Um, that's unfortunate. But still, I, I'm still super, super high on uh, Hugo Perez and really excited to see his coaching career move forward. So, um, U.S., you know, firmly you know, set on uh, the 2022 World Cup that'll take place in almost five months at this point. Wales will be the first opponent, November the 21st, um, and only two games to go before the World Cup. So it's it, it's here. And yeah, as you pointed out, Matt, we're in the no injuries phase. Um, I hope nobody gets injured. Um, but I guess, you know, Injuries are a part of soccer, so just kind of bated breath and hope that, you know, everybody's all healthy and well for the next five months as we head into the uh, the U.S.'s triumphant return to the World Cup. Um, focusing back stateside, uh, though, we did have kind of, I'm not sure if it's out of nowhere, but it, it was pretty out of nowhere. News dropping um, that Ronnie Dyla uh, is going to take the coaching role of Standard Liège, I think is how you say it, um, in Belgium. Uh Bel- Belgian side, uh, generally pretty good in the Belgian league, um, but kind of out of nowhere, Matt. Uh, what do you see in this? Um, it, I guess in Dyla leaving NYCFC, you know, definitely on a high, definitely as a successful coach, no doubt about it. But now leaving a void for MLS's best team, basically right now, I think it's fair to say. How do you see them reacting to this? Because I believe it is going to be a mid-season uh, departure. You know how this is really difficult and kind of uncharted territory. Yeah. This, I think it's really interesting that this is happening. And I think that it's probably happened, or this is one of the few teams that can handle this loss pretty well though. Um, because of the way that NYCFC is set up and their involvement through city football group, they're able to kind of just bring somebody in, uh, in Nick Cushing, um, who knows the system has a decent familiarity with the players and there's a really, really strong executive team behind him and David Lee and the ownership there. So I don't think that NYCFC is going to to feel the loss as much as I think MLS is going to gain significantly from a very, very good coach coming in, developing, getting like I, I think that Dyla got better as a coach as he was here. And now we'll go back to uh, European League and 
my guess is performed pretty well. Uh, I think that Standard Liège is really trying to bring him in to reestablish themselves as one of the the giants of Belgium. Um, so I'm I'm interested to see exactly what the the coaching change brings. Nick Cushing had been with the Manchester City women's team for several years, um, and now has been uh, coached just within the City Football Group for quite a while. So. I don't think there are many teams that this could happen and it not kind of implode the season on though. So it's definitely going to be one to watch. Yeah. um, Certainly interesting. Uh, Staren Liège, uh, they were not uh, great this year in the Belgian league. I, I think it's a weird way that they do it, but um, in like the, big season 34 game season uh they finished 14th out of 18th uh stayed up still in the uh pro league that's the uh, first tier of belgian uh soccer but yeah not great so hopefully he's able to go back in there i'll certainly be kind of viewing that from afar and seeing you know is he able to you know continue the success that he's had because you know he he coached i think at celtic before so like we're, we're talking about a guy who has had success in europe before for you know a, a prestigious club in Celtic and then come over here and, you know, win with M- NYCFC. Uh, he, he's a successful coach. Um, so I guess we'll see, you know, what he's able to do um, there. I think it is interesting though, because, you know, he, he's gone now, right? Like the, he, he won't coach another game for NYCFC. We also, you know, throw in the fact that it, Tati Casianos is long overdue to leave MLS and it sounds like he's going to do it this summer. Now, I don't know what to believe because we were told he was going to do it in the winter. And I guess we'll still see. But assuming that the rumors are true and that he will leave at some point to some club this summer, that leaves NYCFC without its golden boot winner from last year, its best player, and its successful coach. So, Andres, I don't know where they go from here. They still have a ridiculously talented roster, don't get me wrong. But it's it's just change at a time where they didn't really need anything to change. I think is kind of the the overlying theme. So so I'm kind of torn on whether thinking this is you know disastrous or thinking it's going to be okay. I'm not sure which one to think honestly. On the one hand, there is like Matt mentioned all the talent and the in the in the club and you know, the support from City Football Group and the scouting network um, and everything that goes along with that, that you can, you know, probably survive a coaching change better than most or any other club could, right, in MLS, you would think. Um, But on the other hand, um, you know, NYCFC went from Patrick Vieira to Dome Tarant a couple of years ago and saw an immediate dip in form. It took about, I don't know, half a season before they kind of regrouped and, get, and got better again and started playing the way they were playing before the change. Um, and then when Dome left and and Ronnie Dyla came in, I think that first half a year wasn't very good either of uh, 2020. You know, there was a, the pandemic and MLS is back and all kind of affected that. But you saw over the course of two years, you know, what, what that team grew into and, and kind of by MLS Cup, 2021 and then you know the run so far this year how much better they've gotten and now they're going to have to kind of regroup and start over um with one of the assistants you know nick cushing who was the assistant to to dialogue but still 
it's going to be his own style, his own his own way of playing. Um, so I, I'm curious to see if they're going to see one of these dips in forms um, and they have to rebuild again. And if they lose Tati on top of that, then that's a, a big hole that we already knew was going to be di difficult to fill. So, like I said, I'm torn on whether this is a huge deal or if NYCFC and City Football Group um, is, has enough to, to withstand it. I'm really interested to see what happens. Um, I don't have a prediction on this one. It's going to be it's going to be interesting to watch. I think if we're talking about like predictions and like betting or whatever, I think the line would be at the probably the most, you know, the, the easiest way to view soccer, football, whatever, which is talent shines through and NYCFC still has a ton of talent. They still have Tati. They have a million young, bright, you know, this ridiculously talented attackers. They still have a great defensive midfield. They still have a solid back line and a great keeper in Sean Johnson. They should be fine. Like, logic says they should be fine. But it still is kind of a... There's a void left in your coach that they clearly loved. Um, what happens now? It, it, I, I think all options are on the table. My guess would be it's fine. But, you know, is it two points per game fine? Still yet to see. John, I don't know... Uh, if we don't have a ton of work off because there haven't been a ton of statements, there haven't been a ton of uh, reaction, and NYCSC still hasn't played a game yet uh, since Ronnie Dyla has departed. But what would your prediction be um, if you could just throw a shot in the dark? Yeah, I mean, Logic says that they're going to be fine, right? Logic says that they have a successful system, they have a lot of talented players, they have the infrastructure in the club. So logic says that, you know, that they're going to be absolutely fine. However, sometimes football and soccer is, is, is illogical, right? Sometimes there's human elements to this that really affects things. And so, um, you know, I, I think that sometimes one of the things we don't talk about um, enough is the human level. Y'all know that I'm a big advocate of, of the player's coach. And so sometimes a part of that is, is leaving well, right? When you're transitioning leadership, did you leave uh, the team in a good spot when you left, right? And um, did you set up uh, your assistant or the next interim guy uh, up for success, right? Um, and so I, I think that in a lot of ways, that human element of do the players have a sour taste in their mouth or are they saying, hey, we can continue on this good thing um, that you established here? I think that that human element is really going to determine more than we might think, right? Because from a pure talent and logic and system perspective, they're, they're absolutely fine. But sometimes that emotional component really can affect things on the field. Um, and it's hard to know because we're not in the locker room, right? Things might be great. Things might be fine. Um, but also things could very not so be fine, right? And so uh, I think that this is one of those times where the human element is going to affect things. And um, only time will, will, will tell. Um, are they able to carry on this good thing? Or are, is there going to be some, some damages? Is there going to be damage control of a coach leaving in the middle of the season, right? He left us. Those are the type of thoughts that sometimes are really human to think. And um, it, it takes a really talented individual um, to sort of um, leave well and sort of not put that in the mind of your players. But that's like also like a leadership principle, you know? So 
I'd like to pose the question to the to the group because I think before this news, even if Tavji left, um, NYCFC would have been basically all of our favorites for supporters shield and at the very worst co-favorites for, for MLS Cup. Is that still the case today after this news of Ronnie Dalla leaving? Do you still have them as your favorites for supporter shield and MLS, and MLS Cup? I would say I don't think that they are favorites for Supporters Shield anymore. I think they are still absolutely favorites for MLS Cup. I think the cup is harder to predict, right? I would I would say 50-50 for the Shield, leaning towards no and LAFC, but I, I would still say probably yes for the cup because they still have the talent to change a game with like a, the snap of their fingers, basically. I think I say no to both. I think I say no to the shield, no to the cup. I still think that they find a pretty solid playoff spot. I think they they still, um, you know, are, are in the upper, upper echelon of, of the East. Um, but But I think that they fall just short of the shield, and, and I think that they have trouble navigating the playoffs. Yeah, interesting. I, I, like I said, I'm torn. I think I lean towards probably still pretty good, but no longer favorites for, for either one. I think it, it does make a difference to have that change of leadership in the middle of the year. Yeah, I'm very close to 50-50 on all of them, basically. <laughs> It, it all. I think. It, I think John's exactly right in that it's just going to come down to can uh, Cushing get the, the the top level out of players like Talos Magno, like uh, Pereira. It's a it's an interesting thing. I'm still I I err towards the fact that he knows these players. He's been in the locker room, so I think they're still going to be able to build on it. Personality and leadership matters, man. It really does. It matters in every You're single... You're absolutely right. You know, it matters. And it, it, it's hard to know because we don't know the man we're talking about, right? It's tough. Yeah. But I think he, he's shown enough success at previous clubs that we know that he's going to be fine moving forward. Uh, the, the question is, will uh, his now previous team, NYCFC, be fine? Hopefully that's the case because they're an amazing team. And, hey, I guess we'll see what happens with their star. Uh, Tati Castellanos probably going to leave somewhere, somehow, with... A, what amount of money we think like in the 20 million range, all that is still up in the air. Um, so it should make for an interesting summer, definitely more drama than they wanted, but Hey, we, here we are. And I guess they're going to have to make the best of it. And with, you know, like we said, still a supremely talented roster, uh, young, uh, vibrant and, uh, hopefully good enough to, you know, repeat back to back. And the, the, uh, the, the expectation is, a, a trophy because that's what this team, even without Tati, even without Dyla, they're still plenty capable of winning either or both of those. Uh, the the trophies still left to go, and um, I might be wrong, but they are still an open cup, right? I don't believe. Or no, no, no. There's a uh, Hudson River Derby. Hudson River Derby. No, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah. They they have a meeting with the Red Bulls later this month, I think. So. Yeah, there are still three trophies on the table for NYCFC, so maybe they'll win one, maybe they won't, maybe they'll win all three. I don't know. Anything's possible with that team. Um, but yeah, super interesting stuff with Dial. Kind of coming out of nowhere, that really didn't start to materialize until like a couple of days before it popped off, and even that was kind of still, you know, rumors from 
overseas sources and then we got hit basically with Fabrizio Romano being like yeah it's done he's going to standard liaison I'm like okay well uh so long Dilo thanks for your MLS cup and uh your numerous runs in the playoffs so yeah that's kind of all there is in that situation and we'll see how they respond um still on two points per game and still you know a top of the east um and second in the league as a whole uh last thing I want to touch on before we get out of here and that is, uh, you know, a few days ago, kind of out of nowhere as well, the MLS dropped their new media rights deal. It is not a traditional media rights deal. It is going to be on Apple Plus, a streaming service, um, one of the newer streaming services. Not all the details have been released, even though I believe um, it's starting in 2023, so that is next season. Um, but what we know definitively is that it seems like every match, no blackouts, some MLS Next Pro and MLS Next like select matches will also be in there, which is interesting to me. Um, no, and I think the the big thing though, and the, the most contentious things is now n- not on cable. Besides a few select linear matches that are still kind of up in the air, uh, looking maybe ESPN and Univision at this point, but we'll see about those. You know. But that, those will be few and far between. But it will be every match on Apple, um, and no local broadcast. So if you have your local CBS, your local My TV, whatever that is, um, uh, there's every uh every team has a different you know local broadcaster. Those will be no more. There will not be local broadcasts on your you know just normal cable. Flick it on the TV. That's really the contentious point. And that's where I kind of want to start. Where do you guys see this media deal, you know, taking the league? And how do you kind of weigh that, you know, no local, um, you know, broadcast versus this kind of no blackouts, but you got to pay more if you are then, you know, if you already have cable, you have to pay this extra charge now to get the uh, all the games. Yeah, so I think you guys know how I feel about this pretty strongly. So I, I personally think that this is this is a, a huge step backwards um in for the league um and in terms of just the reach that you can have with your local communities because that's where fandom really starts right so you, you grow up um watching a team you might get to a few games a year and then the rest of the games you watch it on your on your rsn right on your regional sports network and and those are controversial. Um, there's a lot of disputes with the regional sports networks and the carriers. Um, and I realize that they're not great. Um, if you're a cord cutter, um, you you don't have you you get blacked out from the streaming services. But in general, the vast majority of the country still consumes their local teams on their RSN. Um, so what what this deal kind of implies is that the only people that are going to be able to watch games are the people that are already huge fans of the league and are willing to shell out, you know, I'm going to say something like $100 a season because that's about what, you know, the NBA charges. Now, NBA is more games and a more established league, but there's still blackouts in their package. So I don't know how they're going to balance that. But, you know, there's going to be some significant cost associated with watching your local team unless you're a season ticket holder. And if you're a season ticket holder, it means you're already a fan. So what I'm wondering is how are you going to capture any new fans that aren't already in the ecosystem if you don't have many 
national TV games because it seems like that's going to be pretty limited to something like 20 a year maybe. Um, and if you don't have any local broadcast where somebody who's just kind of at home having having supper, um, flipping through channels, which people still do, um, you know, maybe not the younger generation, but there's still people that do that. Um, and you can't just happen to watch the game and say, oh, you know, from, for example, I lived in Greenville for a long time. We get in Greenville, basically either Charlotte or Atlanta as our home market. And I know people that aren't that interested in soccer in general, but would happen across an Atlanta United game and then would come and say, oh, I watched Atlanta United. You know, I, I kind of an interesting, especially with the atmosphere that you get in Mercedes-Benz, you know, it's cool to see. Maybe I'll try to catch some more games. If I'm in Atlanta, maybe I'll go to a game. Um, that's just not going to be able to happen anymore. Um, and even then, you're going to have to be a pretty you know, big fan to shell out the money for the package. So I'm worried about the reach. Um, the business side, it's it's decent money, but MLS is going to do all the production costs. So, you know, I'm not sure how much of a big impact that is financially either. So overall, I'm pretty down on the deal. Um, even if uh, for me, you know, internationally, it makes it a lot easier for me to watch. Yeah, I think it's a it's a bit of a gamble. I I generally am uh, pretty optimistic on the deal. Largely, um, you're you're hundred percent right in that those or losing that local broadcast is going to be difficult. I think about like how easy it is for me to turn on uh, Nick or Nate Pukati and Jacob Peterson and listen to the Sporting Kansas City match. Not having that is going to be a really interesting change, uh, and it that's going to be a bummer. And seeing the way that those roles go out to folks is going to be really, really difficult because I think that they're looking at uh, between ten and fourteen broadcast crews. Um, I think that bringing the production in house by MLS is actually a very, very positive thing. Seeing just the way that the production was not super respected on the ESPN deal. Um, those broadcasts just, they did not pop with any of the, the color or life that you see in the way that like NBC covers the premier league games, which obviously it's a different investment, but I think that bringing that production in house gives them the opportunity to go ahead and really improve that and make it a better product. Hopefully by making a better product, you have a broader base that's willing to actually pay for it. Um, so, and, and then I think largely this is still going to be the best deal that we're going to get though. Like, uh, MLS was original reportedly asking for around a $350 million annual, uh, payment. This is looking at 250 with, uh, with production costs or uh, production costs taken out of that. So we'll call that, you know, uh, 210 going out to clubs. It, it it's it's better than I think that they would have gotten otherwise. And they really did not expand their fan base significantly on the current deal. That's that's the other thing. The TV uh, revenue just was not good, and the viewing numbers were not good. And so I think they had to go ahead and go with this option because I think it's the best option they're going to get. Yeah, I I think the from the money aspect. This is perfectly fine for the league. This is potentially better than expected. I, I think at one point there were hopes of maybe getting up there towards 300 million a year, but that was kind of a pipe dream, I think. Um, 
when you you know look at what the numbers are just the the stark reality that right now it's not good enough now you are also making an investment i i I've been reading stuff. I've kind of been taking everybody's opinion, seeing, you know, kind of what sticks with me. And one of the things that kind of has, you know, resonated the most with me from people's opinions is like, hey, we're about to host the World Cup today. The World Cup host cities were announced. And congratulations if your city was a host. MLS was born in large part because we had a successful soccer World Cup in the United States in 1994. What's going to happen in 2026? You know, what's the boom going to be? Because there is always going to be a boom. There's always booms after World Cups. And now it's going to be in our own backyard. What What's that going to look like? Um, you know, I, I saw today like, another great point brought up. What if Messi comes? We're talking about one of the greatest players in the history of the sport playing potentially in MLS at some point. What's that going to look like? When we start to throw these things in, I think for Apple, this is a worthwhile investment at the very least because, hey, there's only room for growth basically within the, you know, the package is the 10 year package, you know, where soccer could be in 10 years is very different from where it is right now. Um, or could be at least. So that's also interesting to me. Uh, one thing I want to touch on before I throw it back to you guys is, um, let's say TV, de- uh, TV deal, uh, radio broadcasts, local radio broadcasts are still going to be a thing. And also there will be an option apparently on the streaming service. Uh, to if you are in market to hear your local radio broadcast instead of the um, national, uh, you know, sound broadcast. That's one interesting thing that I, I don't know how that's going to work. But if it ends up working out, that could be that could salvage a little bit of that, you know, local aspect of it. But MLS is now very much a nationalized product when this deal goes into place. All of that, you know, per- personalization that it has existed on local broadcast is gone right when you watch espn plus you're watching the local broadcast you're not watching a nationalized product you the only times you get to see those are you know weekly you know the weekly games on espn or fs1 or something like that that's going to be basically every game now so how that's going to work out you know what talent uh ends up broadcasting on apple and you know you know, moving, you know, the broadcasters around, all that's going to be super interesting. And it's the, the media deal still so fresh. There's still a ton of questions and not a ton of answers so far. John, you haven't gotten a word in. So if you want to, you know, touch on this, you're more than welcome. Kind of what are your thoughts on this? And, um, you know, looking, the league's trying to expand. They're hoping for a boom. Do you think that this is the deal that's going to make that happen? Yeah, I, 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 I do agree that I think, Looking forward, it is difficult to see a pathway for new fans um, with this current TV deal. Um, I, I think I think Andres is right. You're not just going to be flipping through channels and, and find a game anymore, and that's that's unfortunate. I think the only thing that maybe is beneficial or could be said in contrast to that is that there is a large movement away from traditional cable and traditional media in that way. And so in a lot of ways, this movement is with the trends, right? If you look at the the trend, even if you look at the trend and what leagues are doing, right? Leagues are used to just be, all right, we're putting on the games and then we sell the, the, the media rights. More and more, you know, leagues, the NFL, the NBA, they're becoming, you know, uh, content creators 
in their own own right, right? They're becoming um, media networks in their own right. And in some ways, this gives MLS more autonomy to do that, right? If you look at the ecosystem that currently surrounds the league, a lot of the media is actually paid for by the MLS, right? A lot of um, the reporters, a lot of the um, you know, journalists, a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it is sort of perpetuated by the league itself. And so this continues to allow the MLS to shape its own image, right? Um, they are more in control of the broadcast. They are more in control of the media, the product itself. And um, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Uh, I, I think that's an interesting question. I don't, I don't know. I, I would say that I think ESPN and Fox have maybe not been the best of partners when it comes to, uh, you know, maybe the, the entertainment side of things. Um, you know, I, I consistently would watch pregame shows and be disappointed. Um, I can't think back to, to the time when I, I would, uh, I, I can't think back to a single time when I would watch a game and a pregame show and go, oh yes, that was something I didn't already know. Or that was something that I thought was engaging based on what was happening in the MLS ecosystem. And so maybe that can change now, right? Maybe that can change where there's, you know, some, some, some more stimulating content on a halftime show or in a pregame show. Um, is this good for the league? I think it's too soon to tell. I think it's too soon to tell because I think some of the details of how much is Apple going to charge for this? How is this going to work with linear broadcasts? Is there still going to be games on ESPN? Is there not? These are all questions we don't have answers to. And I think they're important questions. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, could I see it being a really negative thing for the league? Yeah. I think I can. I can see a way in which this stifles growth and um, this media deal falls flat on its face. Do I also see a world in which this is a genius move and this is just the MLS being ahead of the curb, moving away from traditional media? Yeah, I see that too. I just think it's too early to tell. And I know I'm hedging hedging a fence here by not really picking a side, um, but I, I, I think it's too too soon to tell if it's going to be you know, positive or negative. Um, I think, you know, a clear negative is obviously the local broadcast being dropped and, and that sort of not bringing in new fans. Um, but I think that that can be overcome. Um, am I sure it will be overcome? No. That's kind of where I stand, I think. How, just as a, do you see any... Uh, positives coming from the fact that you're able to tap a little bit more into the international market where we aren't just, you know, relatively region lock, locked to ESPN's uh, airwaves. Is that a question for me? Or, or I, that's a question for anybody. Like, I, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe that's where we're seeing some of that benefit offset. I mean, I think, I think you may, I, I think it's, it's small. Um, I, actually, I, I, you know, listening to you guys, I have a couple other maybe more positive thoughts, but in, regarding your specific question internationally, you know, I think if a, a Messi comes over, you may see an uptick in subscriptions of Messi fans that want to watch him, you know, play in, and, you know, they've been following him all along, you know, maybe, you know, I don't know how many Chiellini fans, you know, are they are, but if this were next year, maybe you get some, some Italian fans um, or, or, or guys, 
guys that want to follow their national team players. Um, but I don't, I don't think that's a huge number um, unless, you know, unless you're talking to MLS because, you know, the home for the, you know, all the world's biggest stars, then then maybe you you start reaching that. But I'm, I'm not sure that's a huge right away. Um, you know, trying to think about what you guys were talking about, especially with the World Cup boom, um, with the fact that this deal is is ten years in length. Um, I'm trying to put myself in the in the mind of, of you know MLS executives and trying to grow the league. And you know, because I, I, up front, I think you're you're clearly going to stifle growth at least the first couple of years. Um, and I'm I'm thinking, okay, maybe the bet is. You know we're going to lose growth here, and the first couple of years might be a little rough. But if the Apple TV service grows to a level of a Netflix or a Disney Plus or whatever, um, and we're already on there in the first couple of years, we give some games out for free so people can try it. And then you know, two or three years from now, when that World Cup boom starts happening, on a bigger streaming service, you're already embedded. Um, maybe that's where you start seeing, you know, changeover from stifling growth to generating uh, revenue. And I know I read that there's some certain level threshold, they didn't say where, where the league starts receiving some of that subscription money and paying it back to teams. And maybe that's the bet, right? That after the World Cup, the, with a growing streaming service, 2027, 2028, um, the deal is so long that maybe on the back end of the deal you can you know you can take advantage of those last six or seven years to really uh, bring in the revenue um, afterwards. Even if you give up some of the growth upfront, that that might be their thinking. I'm not sure. That's that's the angle that I can see on the positive side. I think the slight you know we've all done a little bit of waffling, a little bit of you know trying to you know. Is kind of straddle the fence, and the reason why I think that that's 100% justified is because this deal is essentially sitting in the middle of a seesaw right now, because if the league does not grow over the next 10 years, this deal will fall flat on its face. It probably worse than if they had just stayed on, you know, the, the, the kind of deal that they were on now. If it explodes, and societal trends continue, and core cutting continues, this deal is going to be a massive success. So, I think it's one of those things where we we get back to this point that is it, it's still very much dependent on league product. If the league product is good and people want to watch it, this is not the way that they are doing this is not um, out of touch with society. If the league doesn't grow and people don't want to see it, then guess what? People won't because who wants to pay extra money to watch soccer that people don't even want to watch to begin with, right? So. I think it is very, very much, you know, uh, kind of a 50-50 toss-up right now. And hopefully the league grows. And that's why I'm positive is because I think it will. And there are reasons to believe that it will. But if it doesn't, then I am I will hold up my hands and say this deal is not a success. I, I think the one thing I will add is that MLS does tend to have uh, a, a, a more on the robust side of a media team. And I think that that is something that should be stated. I think MLS um, has invested more into media than maybe other traditional domestic leagues because they've had to. And so I would say that um, this is more up their alley than maybe some of the other domestic leagues uh, of other domestic sports. 
Uh, and so I'm, I'm interested to see if the, maybe that will play a part just because, you know, they, they do run a lot of podcasts. They do write a lot of content in, in, in articles. They are really active on Twitter with the, the people that they pay. Um, they are really, you know, active on the social media, sort of pumping content out there. And I wonder if, if that, if in a way, it's a it's the league betting on themselves. You know what I'm saying? Like this deal is the league saying, hey, we're, we're going to take control of our product. We're betting on ourselves. Apple TV is just the host. Um, in some ways, I think that's an interesting idea, right? They're betting on their own team. And I think that that's a, a, an interesting decision and, and, and uh, one that could pan, pan out, and, but also definitely could not. So yeah, it, I don't know. Just another thought. The nice thing in this instance is that right now, Apple is going to be really invested in this product doing well uh, because this is their proof of concept for getting into sports. That if we if we're talking about the broader you know uh, sports ecosystem, this is going to start to make some real waves on leagues across the world because this is a huge new player that these leagues can now negotiate against. Uh, Fox with against uh, Disney with against NBC with so seeing how that investment works out if we have this very very robust um, reporting and social media team there are already uh, hardwired onto the devices that like I think it's seventy percent of smartphone users have there's a there's a, a platform on there for news to go to the fitness app news to go to the Apple News app. There's there's just a lot more interesting uh, ways to integrate those services. And I see a lot of benefit for Apple from them really trying to push this out. So I, I think that it's nice to that this le- or that Major League Soccer is going to be kind of the the number one priority for Apple in all this. I I think All the debate is really centered around MLS because for Apple, that side of it, this is a no-brainer. It's an absolute no-brainer, right? NFL, NBA, if and when they move uh, off cable, if they do, you know, in any significant sense, it'll be infinitely more than what this is worth. This, This is a deal for every single league game for the next 10 years. And it's only costing $250 million a year. And that's not a ton when we talk about a no-brainer for Apple, and I'm and I'm glad for their sake, like in just strictly Apple, that they pulled the trigger because they do have a really good media arm too. Like they have a lot of things in which to market and to you know look to you know help themselves, right? Because at the end of the day, this is not just going to be an MLS thing, and I think that's maybe what we've seen. Um, maybe MLS was getting frustrated with the fact that ESPN and Fox were not giving them a ton of promotion. You know, outside of the soccer events and the soccer shows on those networks and on those, you know, their, their you know, streaming kind of arms, ESPN Plus, uh, the MLS wasn't getting a ton of promotion. Um, maybe that's something that they were able to lock down in this deal that we haven't heard about. That you know, they they are guaranteed more promotion, are guaranteed, you know, uh, a, a more give and take than MLS was trying to give, 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 trying to and having to self promote. That that would be the hope. I am not an expert on any of this marketing stuff, and I don't believe that you guys are too. I might be 100% wrong. Maybe you guys are marketers. I don't believe that's the case though. Um, But 
maybe put on your thinking cap here for a second. I don't know if this is the case, but I wonder if MLS decoupling themselves from Soccer United marketing has any, you know, bearing on why they made this decision. You know, you know, Soccer United marketing is still a force in the U.S. soccer sphere and is still attached at the hip with everything, you know, U.S. Soccer Federation. Decoupling um, from the MLS, I wonder if the MLS was getting pressure from some that's Soccer United marketing to stay cable cent like centric. I wonder if MLS had wanted to make this move for a while and had only just kind of gotten permission to do so, kind of because now they weren't with this, you know. Like mega marketing kind of you know arm that controlled so much of U.S. soccer that might be a conspiracy, but I'm not 100 percent sure it is. So Matt, can you back me up on that or just absolutely destroy that opinion? Um, I think that I would err towards the latter. Uh, I if you think about marketing tools that some has, you have U.S. soccer, you have Major League Soccer. I think the bigger seller is U.S. soccer because. It's just an easier thing to sell to U.S. or primarily U.S. citizens who they're trying to sell to, and so they're really going to want to get that in front of more people. So you're probably going to follow a more traditional route. So I think that there's there may be something there that MLS being decoupled from some gives them a little bit more freedom to take a risk like this, but I don't think that's the, the biggest factor by any means. No, I, I mean, I think we've, we've all kind of made our our points and, and our concerns slash possible benefits known. I think we'll revisit this, first of all, when, when more details come out um, and then when the platform launches, you know, depending on how, how well it is. And I think it'll be difficult to judge this um, until a few years out from now. Um, I think the immediate, you know, harms are seen and are, are tangible. The possible benefits um, are are a little bit more distant. Um, so that kind of maybe brings that that negative feeling initially. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll see and hopefully it works out. And hopefully both Apple and and MLS continue to grow in their in their streaming platform. Um, and it's not such a, a growth stifler. Um, but yeah, on the on the initially on the initial kind of reaction is, all right, you're going to make a bunch of people pay money to watch their their local teams more than what they already pay um you know unless you were already wanting to cut the cord and your local team was what was holding you back you're probably not happy with this with this deal um but i think mls is making a, a long-term bet here so yeah see what happens yeah i think you know overall we, we all want this deal to go well we all want our league to grow and be as successful as possible so that's really the hope and it it it's a it's a void and that void can be filled with a lot of success over the next 10 years hopefully that's the case it could also be filled with not a ton of success and that's a possibility too and so mls you know they they're the fork in the road you know uh you know, they could have taken the easy path and the, or they could have taken the di more difficult path and they took the more difficult path with higher upside and also a lower downside so We'll see what happens, you know, and I think uh, we're all hoping that, you know, the bet hits and uh, MLS is able to cash out in oh, a fashion that they really haven't ever been able to um, on cable or on anything like that. 
Um, Joey, yeah. I, I forgot. I've got one one last little comment, and that's just a, a shout out or a thank you um, to the ESPN Plus deal that was the last couple of years. Yes. Um, for what seventy bucks a year, um, and with a ton of other content included, I basically got to watch pretty much every MLS game, um, not on national television. Um, and even, you know, you, you have the ESPN games if you have a cable subscription. So essentially with that, I could watch, you know, 11, 12 games a week. Um, and it made me infinitely more knowledgeable about, you know, the rosters, the teams, the tactics, everything that, that was to do with MLS. Um, and so that's going to be replaced. Obviously, that's going away. Um, you know, hopefully it's a similar price. For, for the new for the new service, but that was uh, an awesome deal um, that we've gotten to you know appreciate or, or enjoy for the last few years. So yeah, just a, a, a shout out or, or or whatever you want to call it to to the end of that era because that was that was awesome. I 100% agree with you. Um, the, I don't think I would be sitting here. I don't think that this podcast would be a thing if that deal wasn't in place. Because how else would we be able to? see the league in such a complete fashion um and having it be the local broadcasts and having there be you know you know elite you know event inventive commentary you know not in not being you know as you know it there was always passion you would turn on the games and it, it, there was always passion because it was the home broadcast you know they cared about their teams you by you know it, listening to the home broadcast and not a national broadcast you were able to learn you know a, more about the team see you know what it's like week in week out because if i turn on a dynamo game with you know these guys you know w w their audience is the local tv market people who would sit down on their t uh you know on their couch and watch the same broadcast team the same style every single week you kind of learn what it's like to be a fan of all these teams and kind of the information that they were getting on a weekly basis and so it helped you i know it helped you you said and it has definitely helped me you know, get a more rounded view of the league and kind of see the differences and, you know, what makes this league so unique um, with all of its teams. And it, without a doubt, the ESPN Plus deal is a massive, massive reason why, you know, MLS nerds like us are able to exist. So, yes, I, I love that shout out. And thanks so much for bringing it up because I completely would have forgotten about that. But the ESPN Plus was a massive, massive win, I think. For many of us MLS fans, you know, in recent uh, in re recent years, um, and so that's just about it. I do want to throw one more thing um, on you guys, and that is now that the European season is over, now that you know uh, U.S. is only two games away from the World Cup, now that MLS is really a, almost half its way into the season, definitely a third of the way into the season. What's been your favorite soccer moment over the last really year or nine months that you guys can put a finger on? Just kind of, you know, a little happy, upbeat thing uh, as we end uh, this pod. Um, Matt, I guess I'll start with you. What's been a moment that you've really enjoyed in whatever your soccer watching has been over the last nine months? It's always got to be in person for me. So I was really, really lucky. Uh, my friend Jose and I were able to go to the U.S.-Mexico match in Cincinnati, the uh, the the man in the mirror match. Uh, and to have that opportunity to just, that was just an absolute peak of what this sport can be 
everybody in there together and just everybody pulling for whichever team they love. It was great. So that's definitely tops for me. Um, while you're on that train of thought, I will concur. I was also there um, on November the 12th, 2021, and it was a magical, magical night for a multitude of factors. But, you know, mainly the fact that the U.S. was able to win that game, Dos Cicero in Cincinnati, the stadium was rocking. The atmosphere is unlike any sporting event I've, I've ever been to, and that just, it was so intense. Like, it's it's one of those things where, you know, if you go to a soccer game, it's not going to be 100% nerds who know 100% of the things that are going on, know the teams, know the stakes. This was that. Everybody in the stadium knew exactly why they were there. Um, the chants were unbelievably loud. Everybody got in on it. Um, even the Me- uh, the Mexican fans, you know, brought something too, despite the fact that their team went down. It was like, it was like the most beautiful soccer event I've ever been to just because it was like, like you said, if there was one game or one advertisement I would make for soccer in America, that was it. It was that game. So that was kind of awesome. And that was certainly my soccer moment over the last uh, year. John, uh, what is yours? Yeah, uh, I'm going to cheat and do two, but I'll keep them both short. Um, I went to the very first uh, game in Charlotte versus L.A. Uh, Galaxy. Um, ironically, probably the only home game they've lost this year, but whatever. I'm not salty about it. Um, but the the 78,000 was absolutely incredible um, to be uh, in the midst of all of that, especially in my hometown, especially in a place in the South where maybe soccer isn't normally revered. Um, that was really, really special for me. And then um, also the Sounders uh, making history with, with CCL was pretty special for me. So my two teams, my two moments, um, been a good, been a good soccer year so far for sure. And last but not least, Andres, what's your soccer moment of the uh, last year? I usually don't like copying uh, what you guys what you guys say, but you guys took both of my both of my favorite moments. Um, also, the CCL for for me as an MLS fan um, was a huge moment. Just you know to finally get over that hump and, and see that happen. But number one is, is the one that you guys mentioned. Um, and I was not at US Mexico, um, but as you guys know, I'm in Mexico. And actually for that game, I was in Cancun um, on vacation with my significant other who is Mexican. Um, and we took a break from our you know beach vacation to, to go to a bar and, and watch that game with a bunch of people that were rooting for El Tree. Um, and knowing that it was the last time, you know, World Cup qualifying in, in you know, this version of it um, and being there in Mexico watching um, that 2-0 win. Yeah, that's got to be top of the top of the year. Um, I'd say that the moment we qualified, but it was kind of bittersweet losing um, to Costa Rica, even though, we you know, you get in, you're officially in. Um, but, you know, nothing like that uh that two zero win at at home was that was top for me yeah and and for what it's worth um i was also at the panama game and that was kind of the game that we qualify kind of and i was with uh scuff and their uh, tailgate and that was like that was a magical night like after like that game was kind of done we all kind of met up again just like it was just so happy everybody was laughing having a good time and like again like that reminded me like 
like there is a soccer community like sometimes it feels like soccer is like the little brother and like kind of the baby of u.s sports but like like these soccer communities do exist i love that's why i love doing this podcast with you guys that's why you know we all love having our little soccer niche things that we do because like there is a community there and it's the interactions with other people that make it you know so fun if i didn't have anybody who likes soccer around me i probably wouldn't like it as much but it's like our collective fandom kind of spurs on our love of the sport and all these like different events that we talked about um like that's why we're doing this that's because we love the sport it's the stuff that keeps us going like the magical nights the moments the the really highs of you know our soccer fandom or that that's what keeps us coming back every single week um and it reminds us why we love the game so much so thanks for sharing all that with us guys um thanks for joining me this week we'll be back with a full mls pod next week um and yeah thanks uh, so much for listening to us so far um and we will c- continue to roll it through the summer and as the season goes on in mls um Until then, enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game, and we will see you then.